So I was thinking um, about discussing this disagreement that um, one of my brothers and I have. Um, we've discussed it at length in the past and just kind of settled down to agree to disagree. It's not really an important issue, so it doesn't matter. But um, another one of my brothers that's in agreement with me uh, was talking to him about it today. And so it got me thinking that it might be worthwhile to record for uh, the podcast. And the idea is do wicked rulers and authorities in this world actively sell out their or like sell their souls to the devil do they do they actively willfully knowledgeably worship satan and have have made a um, an actual decision to to go that path or are they ignorant pawns used by satan and so um, I believe that they, they, so, well, I don't really, I suppose the best way to discuss this is to just give the whole picture here. My idea um, is based on two sections of scriptures. Um, the first being Psalm uh, chapter 2. And Psalm chapter 2 says, uh, starting in verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And then the other, the second scripture is where Jesus is in the desert and um, the devil's tempting him. And the devil shows him all the kingdoms of the earth and says, All these belong to me, and I give them to whom I will. Um, you know, and basically tells Jesus, They can all be yours if you'll fall down and worship me. So, based on those two sets of scriptures, I believe, um, and, uh, well, let me, let me backtrack here. Uh, based on, so for almost 20 years, um, I've done like, deep dive studies of secret societies and, and government conspiracies and new world order type stuff. I've got a collection of probably like over 200 documentaries. Um, plus I've read several books on it. And I believe based on that, that when, when you look at the world, um, a lot of the politicians, um, especially in America, I, I suppose I just assume in the rest of the world, uh, but a lot of the research I, I've done is focused on America. A lot of our rulers, a lot of our politicians, um, as well as a lot of the, the CEOs and, and owners of major corporations, and I'm talking the, the big, big corporations, like the, the oil industries, the steel industry, uh, the banking industry, um, all these people are involved in, 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 in occult organizations. They're involved in secret societies. In the occult, uh, they're, they're high-level Freemasons. 
and Freemasonry is a satanic organization. The lower levels are completely unaware. They're told that they just worship a deity, the great architect of the universe. Um, when you get, I think, as far as what I understand, to like the middle levels, they're told that, that this great architect of the universe has an actual name. It's Jabulon, which is a, a, a hybrid of Yah, Jah, uh, Yahweh, uh, Baal or Baal and on so the 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 real god yahweh um the canaanite god baal and the egyptian god osiris or on as he was sometimes known i think um which by the way the company on star it's the this the in the occult um the star sirius has, has it has a lot of uh meaning the dog star um it's used the eastern star it's used in freemason temples and whatnot but Anyways, so, and but when they get to the higher levels, I think it's uh, 32nd degree and beyond. Um, when you read in, uh, it's either Albert Pike's book, uh, Morals and Dogma, or uh, Manly P. Hall. Um, both of these are high-level um, Freemason experts. Uh, they're they're, they're um, held in very high regard in Freemasonry circles. They're, they're like the Freemasons. The, the, the greatest philosophers in, in all of Freemasonry. And one of them, I can't remember which, uh, they both credit Lucifer as being their god, but one of them says that when you reach the 32nd and beyond degree, um, it's then that it's revealed that, that God is really Lucifer, um, which is just another name for Satan. Um, so Freemasonry is a satanic organization. Its rituals are satanic. It, they take blood oaths. Um, of death, like and mutilation, um, the symbology is satanic. Uh, the five star, the the upside down um, pentagram, the all the symbols um, that they use are, have occult meaning, and it's a satanic organization. And so when you think, when it's revealed that anybody thirty second degree and beyond is aware um, that it is a satanic organization, that it is Luciferian. They've agreed to be a part of that. And a lot of our presidents were 32nd degree or 33rd degree Masons. Um, a lot of judges, a lot of senators. Um, so you have that. Then also they're involved in like uh, Skull and Bones, uh, like both presidents, uh, Bo both Bushes, uh, President Taft, um, and, and others, uh, Supreme Court justices and so on and so forth are members of Yale's secret society called Skull and Bones, uh, where the initiates in Skull and Bones are, are baptized um, figuratively in a coffin, and they, they bow down to a person dressed up as Satan and, and, and drink um, blood out of a skull or wine out of a skull, I'm not sure. Um, and then you also have things like uh, Bohemian Club, um, out in Northern California, which includes uh, numerous presidents, Ronald Reagan, uh, Bill Clinton, both Bushes. Well, let me, I don't, I don't know about Bill Clinton, but both Bushes, Ronald Reagan, um, Nixon, Ford, I believe, um, a lot of other prime ministers, uh, big corporations, CEOs, and, and businessmen. Um, they all are part of this Bohemian Club. And in this club, uh, they have a ceremony called the cremation of care um 
which is what Psalm 2 is talking about. But the, during this cremation of care, think about that. Where, where does care come from? It's your conscience. Cremation of care is just a synonym for searing of the conscience, uh, as the Bible calls it. And so they do this. They have a 40-foot stone owl out in the middle of the woods uh, named Moloch. And we read about Moloch in the Old Testament. It was a demon god. And they worship this thing. And they go through this ceremony uh, where they sacrifice a human effigy uh, to this stone owl. And like I say, it's called the cremation of care. So let me re again read what Psalm 2 says in verse 3. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And if you go and you listen to the ceremony, that's exactly what they're doing. They're ca the conscience is the bands, the cords that God and his anointed one, uh, Jesus Christ, in verse 2, um, these the bands and, and the cords that God holds over these people um, is the conscience. And so they want to cremate their care, cremate their conscience, sear their conscience so that they can do uh, whatever they want to do, whether sexual depravity or go and commit very wicked acts um, in order to control the world, murder, genocide, so on and so forth. And and so they do the worst thing they can think of. They, they cremate um, you know, a, a live person. I mean, they don't do it at the ceremony. They use an effigy. Um, but the idea, the ceremony is to represent casting off the, 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 the bands, casting off the cords of God, searing the conscience so that they can do whatever wickedness they need to do. Um, so now these same men, um, they go into secret society government clubs like the Council on Foreign Relations or the Trilateral Club or, or the Bilderberg Group. And these organizations are aimed at a one-world government, a new world order, uh, which we know from Revelation 13 is the goal of Satan. And um, so, so the fact that they're involved in these cults, and, or occult, and that they're high level in it, you know, it's, it's not just uh, a fraternity. They, they're aware of what they're doing. Um, makes me think that they've sold out their souls to the devil, to, to Lucifer, um, who they believe, um, through trickery, through deception, they believe that Lucifer is the good guy, that he's just wanting to free everybody to do whatever they want. And God is is the, the oppressive um, dictator who won't let people do what they want to do uh, with all of his rules and regulations. So they've bought into that lie and sold their souls to Satan and then uh, in the desert, when, when the devil tempted Jesus and offered him all the kingdoms, he said, that these kingdoms are mine, I give them to whom I wish. And I believe that that same thing holds true today. Why wouldn't it? If it held true back then, why wouldn't it hold true today? And I believe that Satan gives his kingdoms uh, to people who have signed deals with him, so to speak. Not actual pen and paper, but, you know, they've taken their oaths in these secret societies. They've, they've accepted his doctrine. They've accepted his plan for the world, the new world order. And so he gives his kingdoms to them. He puts them in positions of power. And I, I don't think that just refers to government kingdoms. I think that re our, our society today is, is more of a, a fascist society in the sense of a, a corporate-run government. Um, I believe that's one definition for fascism is a blending of corporation and government. 
And I believe that the major corporations of the world are the real government today. Um, Apple, Google, uh, IBM, DuPont, um, you know, the, uh, the World Bank, uh, all these different organizations, uh, the steel companies, the oil companies, the pharmaceutical companies, they're the ones that control the politicians. They're the ones that lobby the politicians, uh, line the politicians' pockets, and, 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 and actually control the governments of the world. So in a sense, I believe we already have a one-world government um, and that these corporations don't have boundaries. You know, Nike is a worldwide corporation. Uh, the World Bank, I think, has uh, control over every nation except for like maybe three. And um, so all these different organizations, all these different companies, all these different politicians are involved in the occult. Um, they're all working together to steer things towards this new world order. And so I believe that it is a, a, an actual active decision that these people make. They, they willfully choose um, to believe the lie uh, and to go down this path. They've, they've sold their souls, so to speak. They've chosen a side. They've agreed uh, to, to be Satan's puppet in order to get power and riches and, and to get a piece of the kingdoms. Now, my brother, on the other hand, uh, believes that they do it in ignorance. That um, when it says in Ephesians that it's the, the, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, the, the prince of the power of the air, that, that Satan guides and directs lost men um, into the past that he desires without them being aware of it. In the same way, because that same spirit also worked in us once. When we were lost, we didn't actively uh, know that we were serving Satan. We didn't sell our souls to Satan, uh, but we were doing his will uh, because the spirit of the air, the, the, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience was at work in us. The, the spirit of Satan was guiding us and directing us as, as we followed our lusts and passions. And so my brother believes that that's how it is um, with, with even men in power, with famous celebrities and politicians and corporations, CEOs and owners, uh, that, that they're just, you know, like everybody else, they're just lost men uh, being influenced by Satan unaware and so, like I say, I, I disagree with him uh, based on the, the scriptures that I quoted and then based on the fact that all of these men, or not, I, I shouldn't say all of them, but a lot of these men in power are part of occult organizations. And out of their own mouths, you know, they, they've written and talked um, about uh, the New World Order, about directing things into the New World Order. And they've gone to these ceremonies where they know that Lucifer is being praised and, and that he is being called God and that, that the God of the Bible is being discredited and mocked. Um, and so Psalm 2, when it says, The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together, that indicates an awareness. That's not something you do uh, without knowing what you're doing. They take counsel together and they say... They take counsel together specifically against the Lord and against his anointed. And they say, let us break their bands, their bands, God's, uh, the, the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Let us break their bands and cast away their cords. 
That is an active awareness um, of a plot against God. That's an agenda against God. Um, it's not something you just blindly do. It's something that, and, and I believe that, yes, the spirit of disobedience works in all the lost. Everybody's doing the will of Satan. But you don't get to be in positions of power. You don't get to, to, to take a part of Satan. The, this world belongs to Satan. He is the God, little g, of this world. He is the prince of the power of the air. He, the nations belong to him, and he gives them to whom he chooses. And I don't believe that he gives them to anybody. He gives that he he gives them, or I'm sure he doesn't give them to just anybody. He gives them to to those who have agreed and and willfully serve him. Uh, they they willfully acknowledge Lucifer as their god, and they they willfully acknowledge that the the plan is to move this world into a new world order. Um, so yeah, um, I've tried to persuade my brother. I don't know what his resistance to this is because I think I feel like Psalm two is crystal clear. And then when you add to that the fact that these men are involved in the occult, in in the occult that that it's a satanic, they're involved in satanic or organizations, whether that's Freemasonry, Bohemian Club, Skull and Bones, um, uh, Demolay. Um, Illuminati, Scientology, whatever it is, these are organizations that recognize Satan as their deity. And and so when you tie those two things together, I don't see how you can get past it. They, these are the men. These are the kings and the rulers that have set themselves against God. These are the kings and rulers who take counsel together, conspire together um, to overthrow the conscience, to overthrow God's rule and reign over them. Um, but again, um, I've tried my best to persuade him. He remains unpersuaded. And ultimately, I don't know if it's a really big deal or not. I think it helps to separate from it. It helps to, to create um, a heart that doesn't love the things of the world um, when you realize that it all belongs to Satan. It, 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 I think understanding my position understanding where i'm coming from helps to uh sever the ties with the love of the world um and it, and it, and it, and it, it helps clarify uh who the enemy is and what his agenda is but it's it's not a really big issue where i'm going to argue and fight with somebody over it but um uh, just thought it'd be worthwhile to discuss here on the podcast Well, on uh, Sunday, which is Easter Sunday, I will turn 40 years old. And I have some thoughts on that. Um, a lot of people get all depressed about hitting 40, and I can understand that. But because it is kind of depressing, it's, it feels like, like when you're a kid, 40 sounds old, you know. And so you hit that age, and it's like, man, I guess uh, I guess I'm old now, you know. But I'm not really too upset about it. Like, I think I went through a midlife crisis when I was 35. Like that. That's right around then. I went through this weird stage of anxiety, 
Like I just felt like I I hadn't done anything. I needed to do something and just kind of, I don't know. So 40 is not a big deal to me, but I've been thinking about uh, some things from a spiritual standpoint. Um, I guess mainly because it falls on Easter. Um, You know, the day we celebrate the resurrection of Christ and... So I'm not I'm not one big on signs and and numerology and all that nonsense, but um, it is you know it does pique my interest a little bit. It's a little bit of a curiosity uh, that it happens to fall on Easter. It's got me wondering if there's any sort of spiritual significance to it. If there's um, if it's like a turning point or if it's a milestone or or what the issue is, but. Just kind of looking at it with some um, trepidation, curiosity. I'm wondering, like, you know, okay, what's going to happen now? Where where does life go now? What 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 am I going to do here? And there's a couple other things besides the fact that it falls on Easter. Um, Forty is a significant biblical number. Um, again, I'm not big on the the numerology or the Bible numbers and all that stuff. I know there's there's some theories and some weird stuff out there, but 40 was the number of years the Jews spent wandering in the desert. Um, 40 was the uh, the number of days and nights that it rained during Noah's flood. 40 was the number of days that Jesus spent in the desert of temptation. And so there is this idea that 40 um, ties in with with trials and 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 temptations and tribulations so that's got me a little i guess a tre- trepidation is the word that keeps coming to mind it's 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 got me thinking you know like okay uh was the 40 years up till now kind of a trial was it the the i've been saved since 2001 so i've been saved for 21 years um, I celebrate my my new birth date on the same day as my real birth date because I don't know the exact day I got saved, but it was in April of 2001. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was mid-April, so it's right around my birthday. And um, so I'll be 21 years old in the faith. Um, the same time I'm turning 40. And so it's like, okay, has everything up till now just been a trial? Uh, a, a testing, you know, it's, it's a building, a laying of the foundation. Because um, honestly, the Christians I associate with, when I when I look at their lives and I compare mine, I haven't had a lot of spiritual growth. Like I've grown in knowledge and understanding. Like I've I've um, the Lord made me very very hungry for the Word of God um, during my formative years of the faith. I spent a lot of time studying and 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 just felt like I was given understanding of the word and so I grew in in knowledge but what I had in knowledge I lacked in maturity um in spiritual maturity I just when I when I look at the brothers and sisters that I associate with who are much much younger in the faith than me we're on equal footing when it comes to spiritual maturity like I still struggle with a lot of sin on a daily basis um I'm 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 not anywhere close to what you know. Um, 
the the spiritual giants of our faith or or um, I'm not anywhere close to being qualified to be in an elder or um, having a position of leadership. It's like I I lack um, I, I I lack a lot of spiritual fruit. I, I lack love. I lack compassion. I lack um, temperance or or self control. And so like I just see like perhaps everything leading up to now has just been laying the foundation. And and now is the time, and I don't know, it's silly to think that a birth date really signifies anything important, but the fact that it's on Easter and the fact that it's 40 um, just kind of has me pondering some things. Um, I like this quote, I think I, think I heard from A.W. Pink, who um, divided life into four stages. He saw that uh, from the ages of, of birth till 20, he saw that as childhood. And from the ages of 20 to 40, he saw that as youth. And from the ages of 40 to 60, he saw as maturity. And then 60 and beyond as, as old age. So, and, and I like that guideline. And base, I, I guess it brings me comfort because it's like, okay, maybe my lack of maturity, spiritual maturity, isn't such a bad thing. Maybe I'm not so odd. Maybe I'm not so abnormal, uh, perhaps. Um, I don't know. It just comforts me to think that, that 40 is really the, the age when, when maturity happens. I, I like A.W. Pink's quote there. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking ahead thinking, what is this? Is there any significance to it falling on Easter? Is there any significance to it being 40? Um, is it, is it a pillar moment? Is, is it, is it a, an event? Is it, is it something to be recognized? Is it a starting point? Is it a refresh point? Is it, is it a point where the Lord's really going to move upon me and and create spiritual maturity, which is my hope? Because, you know, like I say, when I look at my life and see how much I lack, it's very discouraging. I was just telling a brother um, that I often think about that parable of the tree uh, that wasn't producing any fruit. And and the vineyard owner comes and says, cut that tree down. You know, it hasn't produced any fruit in several years. And the gardener pleads with him and says, no, hold on, hold on. please, give me, give me one more year. Let me dig around it. Let me put some fertilizer around it. Give me one more year and let's see if it produces anything. And I look at that in in fear because I often think like, what if, you know, all these years of producing no fruit, you know, what if my time's coming to an end? Like, what if, what if you know, the patience of the Lord, the long suffering of the Lord is running out, and it's like, all right, you know, produce now, and and. and Maybe time's already up. Maybe I the forty years the t- the the time of trial is coming to an end, and I've been found wanting. You know, the, I've been a barren tree. Because when you think about like fruit, what what is the fruit? We're supposed to produce fruit. A good tree produces good fruit. And when I look at my life and I say, what kind of fruit is coming out of my life? And I don't know how we would define fruit. I heard, you know, I, I think some people define it as um, disciples. Like how many people have you led to the Lord? How You know, that's the fruit you're multiplying. I don't think that's the case. If that is the case, you know, I'm, I'm 
I can't point to too many people that I've led to the faith, if any. You know, I can think of maybe one or two that I shared uh, the gospel with that later came to faith. Um, so I don't, I don't know if I have any fruit there. If you if you think about like you think about the talent, the parable of the talents, how um, the guy with one comes and says, "Lord, I was afraid, so I hid the coin. Here's here's what's yours." And the Lord says, "Well, why didn't you at least, you know, put it into the bank and and garner some interest on it?" And I often think about that as um, the other ones when, you know, the people who were given 10 and 5 coins, they went out and, and created more money from it. And I think of that as like evangelism. They went and, and saved souls. They increased the kingdom. They took what they had and they increased it. The guy with the one, when he's told you should have put it into the bank and, you know, at least and, and garnered some interest, I think about the bank being the church. You should have at least shared with the church. And, and garnered some interest, grown, you know, um, edified, built up the church. You should have at least shared with the other members and, and caused them to grow. That I don't know if I have an accurate interpretation of that parable or not, but that, that's how I often think about it. And so if that's fruit, I look at it and go, what impact have I had on other believers? And I think, you know, I look at my closest circle and I think, have I has anything really good come because of me, or have I been more of a hindrance? You know, whereas my years in the faith, I, I should be more mature. I should be, you know, leading in holiness and godliness. I often, um, maybe even cause people to stumble. I don't know if I'd say I cause people to stumble, but maybe I don't know. But you know, I, I, I just. Have I really made any impact on other believers where I can say I've at least garnered interest? I don't know, you know. I've passed on a lot of my head knowledge, but has it taken root in hearts? Has it caused anybody to really um, pursue holiness? Has it created any edification in others? Or is it all just head knowledge, you know? So I struggle with that doubt. So if, if that's fruit, I, I worry about... I don't have much there, so I don't have much in the form of evangelism. I don't have much in the form of discipleship, um, if that's how we're defining the fruit of the good tree. Uh, but the other thing is, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, I look at that and I go, man, I sure am lacking in that. You would think after 21 years I would be a much more loving person. I would be a much more joyful person. Uh, but instead, um, I'm a complainer and a grumbler. And um, I've noticed a, a lack of love and a lack of compassion in my heart. And um, especially over the last few years, I've, I've seen my love growing cold. I've become just angry and, and um. A, a grumbler, a groaner. Um, um, there's apathy and there's bitterness. And so it's like these are bad fruits coming from me. These are not good fruits. A good tree produces good fruit. You know, a bad tree produces bad fruit. And if I'm a bad tree, you know, how much longer does the Lord tarry? How much longer does he give? And that's a terrifying thought. Like, you know, if I'm not producing any fruit or the fruit that I have is, is rotten and spoiled or small and immature, it's, it's, 
it's grievous, you know. And and so I look at this 40th birthday on Easter with kind of fear. Like, I know, again, it's silly to pick this particular date and say, this is it. This is the line in the sand. This is where the Lord says, all right, it's enough with this tree. Cut it down and cast it into the fire. But the significance of 40 and the significance of it being on Easter Sunday um, just has me pondering, you know. It's my my personal life, which is what this podcast is about, my day-to-day life is such a wreck, man. It's just... I feel like I'm a disaster... Um, You know, my day-to-day sin life is, is, you know, why do I continue to sin so much? Why do I struggle uh, with various different sins? And and I don't know. It, you know, I, I feel like when I everybody else just seems to be running the race faster. Everybody else seems to be um, pursuing holiness better making better progress in holiness and like i say it's just very discouraging you know it's it's what good is all the head knowledge without love you know and i was was talking to my brothers this past weekend about like i struggled to understand what love is the emotion of love, like I struggle. When when I was lost, um, I once went to a, a a juvenile delinquent facility, and they told my mom that I was a sociopath or a borderline sociopath. And my understanding of sociopath is that there's no emotion, there's a disconnect from from you know other humans. And like I feel that, like like. When I when I test my heart and I try to say like what does love feel like you know what what does it feel like and I I just I can't wrap my mind around it I can't um, what does joy feel like because my emotions are so dull that I I feel flare ups every now and then I I'll have a flare up of emotion that's quick and bright but then it's over like my normal day to day emotional status is just a blah it's it's complacent it's level it's i'm not one prone to emotional um like i'm not just uh, most people seem seem to be operating on a different level with emotions experiencing things having ups and downs all throughout the day whereas me i'm just kind of level just plateau and then like the emotions that I recognize are like anger or depression or whatever, especially like anger because it'll flare up and it, it it's like if 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 you're measuring emotions on a on a Fahrenheit scale on a on a on a degree scale, like my emotions are room temperature all the time. I'm just even keeled. But anger when it flares up is like 120 degrees, and so it's recognizable. I recognize it, and it's like, and like I said, my emotions are quick. I get angry um, fairly easily, and and my anger is 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 hot, but it's quick. It's done. Like I don't stay angry. You know, if I get angry, um, like I used to uh, tell my ex, you know, if I get angry, just let me leave the room. 
if I get like just three minutes to calm down, I'm done. I'm no longer angry. I, I put it away real quick and I'm back to that normal room temperature. Um, but I recognize it. Whereas, whereas love, it's so hard to recognize because it's, it's, it's the way I feel love. It's like just a little flare up. Like if, if I'm at room temperature, 70 degrees, say my love is like a 72 degree, you know, it's very rare to recognize a peak. It's the same with joy. Like I just, I don't feel the emotions and, and my brothers are trying to encourage me, you know, they, they know me, they know I'm a, um, I'm a generous, loving guy, I guess. You know, I I, I will do just about anything um, for the people in my life. And, and um, so my actions will speak love. But what I'm feeling in my heart, I, I, I just, I feel like other people just experience it way differently than me. And that's, that's grievous too, because the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. And it's like, I want to feel these things. And, and, you know, I've been praying recently, Lord, just show me your love, you know, because we love because he first loved us. And I've been thinking about 1 Corinthians, what is it? Is it chapter 13 that talks about the love or is it 14? Um, love is kind. Love is patient. These are all actionable things. And, and like I say, I see that in my life. I, I know I love people. You know, I, I know I do, but I don't feel it deeply. Like, I don't know how to explain it. I'm doing a poor job explaining that people are going to hear this and think, oh, well, he's just a cold-hearted jerk. And that's not the case, you know. I'm, I'm not a cold-hearted person. I, I, I'm, I, I love, you know, virtually everybody in my life, and, and I will do anything for them. And, you know, I will sacrifice everything I have for them. I will give everything to them. But I want to feel love the way I feel anger. You know, when when anger is present, like I say, it, it boils up. It's so hot. It's so easily recognizable. I want that with love. I want to I want to have that explosion of love in my heart for others that that I can feel, that I can sense, that it's not just it's not just an actionable thing that I that I can actually experience it and so when i when i think about the fruit of the spirit and and see how lacking it is in my life um that's grievous as well and uh, i don't know if any of this makes any sense but i'm just i'm looking at this 40th birthday i'm looking at the fact that it's on easter sunday um looking at the fact that it is 40 and just thinking, you know, what if this is um, a, I don't know what the word is, a pillar. It's, what if this is a measuring stick? What if this is a moment? You know, what if this is the the times of trials and testing are over and now I'm expected to produce fruit, you know, and, and I want to do that. I desperately do. I just, I don't know if I see it in my own life. Whether it's evangelism or discipleship or or the fruit of the spirit, it you know if I'm a good tree, I'm supposed to be producing good fruit. And I look and I go, where is it? You know, and after 21 years, why if it's there, why isn't it mature? You know, why why am I why am I at the same level that that some of my brothers and sisters in the faith who have only been saved for you know five six years? 
why are they at the same maturity level as me? Why, why, why ain't I further along this path? Where is my fruit? And so I don't know, just thinking about all these things heading into this 40th birthday, um, just kind of has me, um, it's not depression. It's, it's not, it's not, there's just a little bit of worry. And I don't know if that's because I'm a glass half empty kind of guy, a pessimist. I always expect bad, you know, (laughs) I just, I'm always thinking things are going to fall apart. I'm always thinking, you know, all right, you know, good things only last for a moment. They're just good things are just the, the rest period between bad things. And so I'm always expecting something dramatic, something something devastating to occur. Yeah, and I, I don't know if that's a, I, I suppose that is a very poor outlook, but that, that's just where I'm at. And <sighs> Turning 40 on Easter Sunday, what is the significance of that? Or is it nothing? Is it arrogant and and conceited of me to think that it's uh, some sort of special event, some sort of special moment, the fact that my 40th birthday coincides uh, with Easter Sunday? I don't know. Anyways, just thought I'd uh, get that off my chest. All right, so that's what I got for you guys this week. Um, As always, I truly appreciate you listening. I love you. And Lord willing, we'll talk to you next time.